Well, it's good to be with you this morning, brothers and sisters. Excited to be in Colossians this morning. Uh, I've seen some new faces out there. If you don't know me, my name is Matt Noble. I'm the assistant pastor here at MPC. Uh, I'm going to be standing on this little pathway to the, the cars or the parking lot over there after the service, so I'd love to get to meet you. Uh, feel free to, to stop by and say hi. Well, again, this morning we're going to continue our sermon series in Paul's letters to, letter to the Colossians. Uh, so if you have your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 2. Um, feel free, if you don't have a Bible, a physical Bible with you, you can pull it up on your phone. But as you're flipping there, let me give you kind of a recap of where we've been in Colossians. So last time we saw that the Apostle Paul was concerned about this church. There were those in the church that, that taught a dangerous and false teaching. And we're not totally sure what this false teaching was, uh, but we know that it taught an insufficient view of Jesus Christ. It taught that you needed Jesus plus your extra works or Jesus plus extra experiences, and you need those things to be saved. And this is why Paul said in chapter 2, verse 4, that he didn't want plausible arguments, and he didn't want them to be deceived by this teaching and its insufficient Christ. And so this brings us to our text this morning. So again, we're going to be in chapter 2. That's going to be big number 2. And then we're going to start in verse 6, that small number 6, and we're going to read all the way to verse 15. So read along with me. Our text says this. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you've been filled in him, who's the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of dead that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together one more time. Father, would you use your word this morning to remind us of your gospel? Would you use it to remind us that you have made a way for sinners to know you? That you have made a way for, for, for us to know and enjoy you forever and to walk in obedience to you? And that is through your son, Jesus Christ. So as we study your word this morning, would, uh, would you make it clear who Christ is? And in doing so, would we see who you are, that we would see your heart for sinners? And so, Father, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our text this morning, we're going to see this main idea, 
So if you're taking notes, this is going to be my sermon in a sentence. And so here it is. We need to walk in the fullness of Christ by guarding against empty additions to Christ. So again, we, we need to walk in the fullness of Christ by guarding against empty additions to Christ. And so in verses 6 and 7, we're going to see that we need to have a rooted walk. So again, a rooted walk. And then verses five or 8 through 15, we're going to see that we need to have a guarded walk. So in our text, we essentially have two commands. We have, you need a rooted walk, you need a guarded walk. So again, we're first going to see a rooted walk. Look with me at verse 6. We can see here that the rooted walk starts with receiving Christ. The text doesn't say, walk in Christ so that you'll receive him. It says, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Paul wanted to remind the Colossians that their life as a Christian didn't start with what they had done. It started when they received God's gracious gift of Christ. And Paul similarly says this in Ephesians 2. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this isn't your own doing, it's the gift of God. And salvation in Christ is God's gift to us. It's his grace. We didn't earn it. We received it. And since we've received this gracious gift from God, we now desire to walk in a way that's worthy of him. And so again, that's similarly why Paul in Ephesians 2 says that we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So then the Christian walk is a life that's oriented towards doing good works for the glory of God in response to receiving Christ. Or more simply, the Christian walk is a life in Christ for Christ. And this is why Paul tells the Colossians to walk in him. We're going to see that phrase in him repeated five times throughout the passage, that if this passage had a heartbeat, it would be in him, in him, in him. So why is this significant? Well, Paul wants the Colossians to know that the foundation of their walk isn't rooted in themselves. It's not rooted in their own works or their own efforts. Their walk is to be rooted in Christ. And so notice that language in verse 7. It says their walk is to be rooted and built up in Christ. It's to be established in the faith about Christ that they were taught. And so all of this language here, the rooted, built up, established, it, it brings to mind tree imagery. So kids, I know there's a lot of stuff that's distracting right now, but I just want you to listen to Mr. Matt for a couple seconds. I want you to look at the trees around you. Sadly, they don't have that big of roots. I was expecting them to have bigger roots. They're underneath the surface. But if you look at, at the bottom of the trees, you can see they have roots. And these roots are planted deep in the ground. And they help the trees stand firm. And so this is what Paul wants Christians to be like. He wants us to be firmly rooted in Christ like a tree. And so brothers and sisters, this is why we gather together around the word. This is why we meet with one another to study the word. We want to help one another know Christ. And we want to help one another be strengthened in our roots in Christ. And so we do this so that we won't be persuaded by teachings that aren't true about Christ. 
And yet we see that the rooted walk is also a, thing, a fruitful walk. And so a healthy tree doesn't just stand firm when storms come about. It also produces things like leaves and fruit. And this is why Paul goes on to say that the rooted walk is a thankful walk. Abundant thankfulness should be the fruit of those that have received Christ and are rooted in him. And so brothers and sisters, is this what your walk is characterized by? If you were to ask those close to you to describe you in one word, would thankful be an option? Or would they more likely say bitter or indifferent? You see, the rooted walk isn't just about having good theology. We want to have good theology. But the rooted walk should also be characterized by being thankful. And so we have everything to be thankful for if we're in Christ. We've received the greatest gift that we could ever imagine. We've received the one in whom all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. Brothers and sisters, he's ours. He's our treasure when the economy fails. He's our treasure when that sickness won't leave. He's our treasure when all of our friends leave us. He's our treasure when we feel beaten down because of that sin that won't seem to go away. And so, brothers and sisters, we can always be thankful because we've received Christ. Even when we're in our darkest valley, brothers and sisters, we can be thankful for Christ. And so again, the rooted walk is also a thankful walk. Yet there are many things that will attempt us to pull us away from having a rooted walk. And because of this, Paul wants us to also have a guarded walk. This is what we're going to see in verses 8 through 15. So first we're going to see Paul's command to have a guarded walk in verse 8. And then we'll see Paul's resources for a guarded walk in verses 9 through 15. So look with me at verse 8. Notice the command that Paul gives the Colossians. He says, to see to it that no one takes you captive. And so that word captive might bring to mind someone stealing or plundering. We might read this and think of, of pirates coming on board a ship to try to steal what isn't theirs. So Paul is concerned that the Colossians were going to be taken captive by this false teaching. He was concerned that someone or something was going to try and, and uproot their walks. Yet notice what Paul thinks will take them captive. He says, philosophy and empty deceit. So to clarify, philosophy isn't a bad thing. Philosophy just simply means the love of wisdom, and wisdom's a good thing. We should want wisdom that's rooted in Christ. Yet notice that Paul also says empty deceit. This philosophy that these false teachers were teaching was leading people astray and was ultimately empty of any true power. And so why is this? Well, notice that there's that word according is repeated three times here. So we first see that this teaching was according to human tradition. So Paul's saying that this teaching was man-made. And he wanted to remind them that they had received the true tradition in Christ that was from God. That, that isn't a man-made tradition. Yet this false teaching was devised by man. It was, again, a man-made tradition. Yet even though this tradition was man-made, its roots went deeper than that. Notice that Paul secondly says that it's according to the elemental spirits of the world. 
And so you might be thinking, whoa, what does that mean? That's, that's a weird phrase. Well, many scholars believe that, that these elemental spirits are demonic, and they're likely connected to the domain of darkness that we saw in chapter 1, verse 13. And so finally, this is why this empty philosophy is not according to Christ. Our enemy and his demonic powers want nothing more than to lead people away from Jesus. They're opposed to God's glory and his good purposes. Yet we know from Colossians and the rest of the scriptures that Satan loves to take what's good and to twist it for evil. And this is what we see manifested in, these false, in this false teaching. These false teachers said that Jesus was a good starting point, but that you, what you really needed was these extra practices or these extra traditions. And so by treating Christ as merely a good starting point, they were left with an empty gospel. And they were left with an insufficient Christ. And so friends, an empty gospel is not a gospel that can save. And an insufficient Christ isn't a Christ that can save you. And so while these false teachers have been dead for a long time, the demonic powers behind their teaching carries on to this day. And so they also want us to try and add to Christ. And some of these are more apparent, some of these teachings, while others are more subtle. And so the more apparent ones might be that you have to speak in tongues to be saved, or that you need to be baptized to be saved. Yet, there are also more subtle ways that this is seen, that our lives often show that, that we think we need Christ plus something else, that some of us today might be believing that we need Christ plus success at our jobs or in school, or that you need Christ plus service in the church, or that you need Christ plus a good quiet time, or that you need Christ plus being a good parent or spouse, or that you need Christ plus finally beating that life-dominating sin. And so don't hear me wrong, all of these things are good things. These are things that we should desire and strive after. But at the day, end of the day, we don't want to put our hope in these things. They can't save us. They can't make you right with God. And so they can't be added to Christ. And so when we try to add them to Christ, we often end up beat up. We end up tired and weary. We feel distant from God. We're tempted to think that we'll finally be more secure in Christ if we make more money, or if we do better in school, or if we serve more at church, or if we read our Bibles more, or become less angry or distant from our spouse or kids, or by finally quitting to fall into that particular sin that we're ashamed of. And so, brothers and sisters, when we make these things a means to salvation, the root of that is the belief that Christ is insufficient. And we're tempted to believe in a Christ that doesn't have the power to save us. And we feel like we need to add to his work. And this is why Paul commands the Colossians and us to be on guard. He doesn't want us to believe in an insufficient Christ. And yet Paul hasn't left us out to dry. He hasn't just said, be on guard. He wants us to see that we have resources for the guarded walk. And brothers and sisters, these resources are found in our union with Christ. And so we're going to see three things here about our union with Christ. We're first going to see that we've been filled in Christ in verses 8 and 10, or 9 and 10. 
Then we're going to see that we've died, we've been buried, and we've been raised with Christ in verses 11 through 12. And then finally, we're going to see that we're alive in Christ in verses 13 through 15. So look with me at verse 9. Paul here gives the reason for the guarded walk. So why should we see to it that no one takes us captive by philosophy and empty deceit? It's because the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in Christ. You see, Jesus wasn't just a good teacher or healer that was empowered by God. He's God, very God, in flesh. He's the eternal Son of God. He's truly God and truly man. And so he isn't the empty and insufficient Christ that these false teachers were proclaiming. The whole fullness of God dwells in him. He's lacking in nothing. He's not insufficient. And our Christ, who's full, who's sufficient, has filled us. So look at verse 10. The text doesn't say that we'll be filled. It doesn't say that we're being filled. It says that we have been filled. This means that we're filled when we receive Christ. And it means that we're filled now as we walk in Christ. And so that word filled might sound a little ambiguous to us. We might not know what that means. But what Paul means here is that we have everything we need in Christ. We don't need some other teaching. We have every resource we need for our walk. And he's the one who's filled with infinite treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's like an ocean that seems to go on forever and ever. And he can't be bottled up. He can't be emptied. And so we've been filled in him because we've been united to him. We also saw earlier in our letter that this is because Christ is the head of the body, which is the church. Yet he isn't just the head over the church. We also saw that he was the head over all of creation. And so his rule and authority stretches out over all things. And so this includes Satan and his demonic forces. While they want to uproot our walks and lead us away from Christ, listen to this, they have no authority over Christ. And because we're in Christ, they have no authority over us. We've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the beloved son. This is the Christ that has filled us. And so I'm sure that there are many of us here this morning that, that need to be reminded of this. Maybe we feel defeated by a particular sin. Maybe we feel like we don't have the power to walk in obedience to Christ. Yet, brothers and sisters, our walk in Christ is resourced by Christ. We can come to him and ask for the strength we need to resist that sin that clings so closely. And this is why we sung this earlier this morning. We sung, Jesus said, if I am weak, I should come to him. No one else can be my strength. I should come to him. For the Lord is good and faithful. He will keep us day and night. We can always run to Jesus. Jesus strong and kind. So brothers and sisters, do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that, that Jesus has the power to keep you and strengthen you when fear of man arises? Or when lustful thoughts emerge or when anger fills your heart and mind. 
Brothers and sisters, let's run to the king that's filled us. Let's ask him to, for help in our time of need. And yet we haven't just been filled in Christ. We've also died, been buried, and raised with Christ. And so it's likely that these false teachers taught that you needed Christ plus circumcision to be a Christian. And this was a teaching that was going around at the time. We can see that in Paul's other letters. But if you didn't know, circumcision was a sign that Jewish males received as part of the old covenant. Yet Paul is doing something interesting with the circumcision imagery here in this passage. So look with me at verse 11. Notice that they were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And so this isn't a circumcision that comes through a physical surgery. So, so what is it? Well, the text goes on to say, by putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. And so what Paul's talking about here is being united to Christ in his death. And so pastor and theologian Kent Hughes, he helps us here when he says that we're given a gruesome metaphor for the crucifixion here. Here we see Christ's circumcision on the cross involved not the stripping away of a small piece of flesh, but the violent removal of his entire body in death. The Colossians now in him as believers spiritually shared in this circumcision, this death. Their body of flesh was cut away. They died to their former way of life. So if you've been united to Christ by faith, then you've been united to Christ in his death. You've died to your former ways of life as a rebel against God. And yet Paul pushes this imagery further when he says, having been buried with him in baptism. And so if you're a baptized believer, then your baptism symbolizes this reality. You've died and were buried with Christ. This is why you're dunked underneath the water when you're baptized. Yet if you've been baptized or seen a baptism, you know that the person being baptized isn't kept under the water. They're also raised. And so baptism symbolizes our union with Christ in his resurrection. God the Father raised Christ from the dead, and in doing so, brothers and sisters, he raised us as well. And so if you're in Christ, your resurrection isn't just a future reality. His resurrection is your reality now. And so while we're, we're raiding to be raised in perfect bodies like his, we right now experience the first fruits of his resurrection today. And even though our bodies are wasting away, we're spiritually alive in Christ now. And so this brings us to verses 13 through 15. Here we're, we're going to see what it looks like to be alive in Christ. So look with me at verse 13. Paul points out that we were dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh. So again, this was because we were rebels against God in the domain of darkness. We saw that in chapter one. And our thoughts and motives and actions were bound and aimed at serving ourselves and the domain of darkness. And so being dead here can be seen as being in bondage. Yet notice what God did for us. He made us alive together with Christ. While we were dead in our bondage to sin, we're now alive in the freedom of Christ. 
But how is this true? Well, notice the flow of Paul's argument here. First, we've been forgiven of all of our trespasses. This isn't just some of your sins or most of your sins. This is all of your sins. So brothers and sisters, what, what's the worst sin you've ever committed? What's the sin that haunts you and keeps you up at night? If you've trusted in Christ, that sin has been forgiven. But how has God forgiven us of our sin? Well, secondly, we see that he's canceled the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And so that term record of debt points to the Roman equivalent of like, a, of like an IRS notice. And we were indebted to God because of our sin. And the legal demands of our sin were death. Yet God canceled our debt. And you might be wondering, how, how could God do this? Isn't he, isn't he just? Is he just forgetting our sins? Is he just wiping them under the rug? No, our just God has dealt with our sin. And so that's what we thirdly see. We see that the record of our debt was nailed to the cross. This means that Jesus paid the debt that we owed. And he did this with his own life. So let, let's not take this language for granted. What Jesus did was costly. Jesus had to die so that you could be freed from the bondage of sin and death. And in doing so, he was brutally beaten. He was mocked. He was hung naked on a tree. His skin was shredded. His head had a crown of thorns and he had nails through his hands and feet. And yet, worst of all, he endured the wrath of God on your behalf. And he was forsaken by the Father so that we wouldn't be forsaken. And so, brothers and sisters, that should have been us up on that cross that we should experience God's wrath for all of eternity. Yet because of Christ, we can sing this. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Beloved, our sin has been nailed to the cross. Do you, do you believe that this morning? It, we bear it no more. Now I just want to sing that song. But we got to keep going. We're going to sing it at the end. And so lastly, we see that our passage ends with these words. It says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. These rulers and authorities... I think are the elemental spirits that we saw earlier in this passage. It's Satan and his demonic forces. And their greatest weapons were sin and death. Yet God triumphed over them by defeating sin and death in Christ. So the domain of darkness has no claim on you anymore, believer. Sin and death bind you no more. You're alive in Christ. And so, weary Christian, do you believe that today? 
Do you believe that you're a slave to that life-dominating sin? Are you trying to white-knuckle that sin to death by your own strength? Or maybe you've grown indifferent to fighting sin because you haven't been making any progress. Well, believer, don't neglect the resource you have in Christ. You've been filled in Him. You've been united to Him in His death, burial, and resurrection. And you've been made alive in him. So don't run to broken cisterns to help you put sin to death. Don't buy into the lie that you need something else besides Christ to make you righteous. So brothers and sisters, let's trust once again, as we need to do every day, in our sufficient king. Everything we need for life and godliness are found in him. And so if this is you this morning, I would, I would encourage you to pray to God and ask him for Christ's strength. That's, that's what we did together when we corporately sang Jesus strong and kind. And I would also encourage you to run to the scriptures. Yet I also want to encourage you to run to other believers for help. That the church is Christ's hands and feet on this earth. And our care for one another is a tangible way that Christ cares for us. And so you might consider asking another brother or sister to grab a meal or coffee or a Zoom call so that they can point you to the gospel and walk alongside you as you aim to put sin to death. Brothers and sisters, I, I need the same thing. This is why I meet with several brothers every week because I need to be reminded of the gospel. I need to be reminded that I'm, I often try to trust in my own sufficiency and not Christ's. And so listen, I, I know that it can be awkward to do this sometimes. I know that it's hard to be vulnerable. And some of us might even have past wounds from past church experiences. But if this is you, I, I would encourage you, come talk to me or come talk to one of the elders. We would love to help you get into a relationship at this church that will help you walk with Jesus. And so we want to see you walk in the freedom in life that God has provided for you in Christ. So again, feel free to come to talk to me or one of the other elders. We'd love to help you with that. And well, friend, if you're, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I just want to let you know that you too can find this freedom in life in Christ. And so are you weary from trying to find life in the things of this world? Are you tired of trying to find your hope in your own works are the approval of others. Friend, Jesus takes in those who are weary from their sin. He takes in those who are tired of finding their life from their own works and who humbly fall at his feet in need of his grace. And so don't believe the lie that, that God's okay with you just because you're generally a good person. Your good works can't make you righteous before God. Only Christ can. And so if you trust in Christ and turn from your sin today, then all of your sin will be forgiven and you'll be united to Christ in his death and you'll be raised with him in his life and you'll be filled in him and have all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Yet if you don't recognize your need, then he won't give you life. And all that you'll be left with 
will be his just, ju just judgment on the last day. And so friend, trust in Christ today. He's willing and able to forgive you of your sin. And so again, if, if, if you want to talk more about this, come talk to me at the end of the service. Again, I'm going to be standing over uh, by the path to the parking lot, but I'd love to talk with you about that.